there's a very cute dog outside. Can you be sure, though? Let's take a picture <gasps> of you and the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take a picture of me and Chicken right now. <laughs> Who? <laughs> chicken doesn't want me to get better. <laughs> Any chit to chat before we pop in? No, I have a little segment though. Ooh! I've got a little siggy to start. A little with. segment. <laughs> what is it? Well, in the last episode, we saw perhaps the ravings of a lunatic scrawled all over that blast door mm -hmm. in like invisible ink for no reason. And one of the things it says on there is Kogikt. <laughs> and that's our time. <laughs> Goodbye. It says Kogito Ergo Doleo. Wait, can I try to guess what that means? Yeah. Ergo <laughs> is therefore. Yeah. I think therefore I am. No. Wait, what is what yeah. was the last word? Well, it's Doleo. So you got Cogito Ergo. Um Is Cogito, I think? Yeah. In Latin? Yeah. Wait. Like Cogito Ergo soon. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. So I think therefore I know. No. I know no. I What, what is the word again? Did you take? Latin. <laughs> What's the last word again? Doleo, D-O-L-E. I heard. Yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. Um, or like suffer or pain, anything to do with that. Nailing it. Hell yeah. On the blast door map that Locke saw, you can see that written, which we can assume is a play on cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am. So instead someone has written, I think therefore I suffer, which is interesting. I can't wait to find out. Who scrawled all that yeah. shit on the Dharma What door. nerd. What emo nerd <laughs> wrote that. <laughs> Cogito ergo sum is the best known philosophical statement of Rene Descartes, who is a famous rationalist from the Dutch Golden Age. If you remember season one, episode three, we discussed. Yes, <laughs> yes next segment, please. <laughs> <laughs> we discussed empiricism when we talked about what tabula rasa is. John Locke was a famous empiricist, and Descartes was a famous rationalist, which is the opposing camp, essentially. By the way, David Hume is another empiricist, and that's Desmond's namesake. Okay. So I'm curious to see if that plays into anything. For context, Descartes and Locke are... I forgot how to read. Mm. For context... <laughs> hmm. hmm. Oh. For context, Descartes and Locke are 17th century philosophers, whereas Hume was 18th century According to John Locke's Wikipedia, when he was an undergraduate student, he found the works of modern philosophers such as Descartes more interesting than his school's curriculum. So that gives you a little bit of, like, a timeline there. Locke. Was he that kid that was, like, reading during class? Yes. <laughs> he was like, the teachers are too basic for me. <laughs> Here's a couple things about Rene Descartes, and we'll all just wait and see if anything is relevant to Locke's. First of all, he's often called the father of modern philosophy. Fathers. <laughs> Here's a quote of his pretty clearly opposing empiricism. 
Whatever I have accepted until now as most true has come to me through my senses, but occasionally I have found that they have deceived me, and it is unwise to trust completely those who have deceived us even once. So, big fuck you to John Locke. Mm-hmm. Descartes believed that you should use deductive reasoning to gain scientific knowledge rather than sensory experience, like Lockean empiricism. Des- oh, which makes sense for this episode. Wait, yeah. kind of. Yeah, it totally could. Uh, Hurley was using scientific reasoning um, <laughs> instead. Descartes said that deductive reasoning is a trustworthy source of knowledge because it comes from God, and God wouldn't deceive us, Caroline. Mm, never. You might have heard of the Passions of the Soul, his 1649 treatise on, like, love and emotions. Mm-hmm. I wonder how horny it is. <laughs> Probably not at all. In it, he basically is like, I'm going to pretend no one else has ever written on this subject before. Like, he says that in the treatise. Wow. He frequently would just refuse the authority of previous philosophers. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, time starts now, and this is what I have to say. I respect that. <laughs> this guy's kind of hot, I think. Yeah. He thought of the brain like a machine, and he tried to apply mechanics and mathematics to explain cognitive functions. He also applied scientific investigation to the soul, whereas most of his contemporaries would have considered the soul to be divine. Supposedly, some religious authorities considered his text to be dangerous because of that. I definitely don't mind reasoning and rationalism myself, but I also totally get existentialism, which would be like more on the Kierkegaard side of things. And interestingly, Kierkegaard kind of dunks on cogito ergo sum in his work called concluding unscientific postscript to the philosophical fragments which is something he wrote (laughs) pseudonymously as an attack on georg wilhelm friedrich hegel kierkegaard basically says here that the the conclusion therefore i am is trivial because even saying cogito presupposes that you exist because just of the way that works grammatically. Got it's so pedantic. It's so shitty. <laughs> I'm not sure if I ever really learned what is meant by I think therefore I am. I never took a philosophy class. So I did some reading and I watched some uh, very basic philosophy videos. Mm-hmm. And here's a passage from Descartes that makes sense to me. It's from the translation by Adams and Tannery and also Cottingham, Studhoff, Murdoch, and Kenny. Except I put it in my own words because she was dry. (laughs) If I convince myself that nothing exists, there's no sky, no earth, no bodies, does that mean that I also don't exist? No. The fact that I was able to convince myself of something in the first place means that I must exist myself. It's kind of a paradox trying to convince yourself that you don't exist. He's saying that you can't do that because you're able to have thoughts about your own existence. I must conclude that the proposition I exist is true whenever I conceive it in my mind. So I learned something new. Hmm. And then I learned that Aristotle had already written and lectured about the quote unquote knowledge of knowledge. He said, but if life itself is good and pleasant, and if one who sees is conscious that he sees, one who hears is conscious that he hears, one who walks that he walks, and similarly for all the other human activities, there is a faculty that is conscious of their exercise, so that whenever we perceive, we are conscious that we perceive. And whenever we think, we are conscious that we think. And to be conscious that we are perceiving or thinking is to be conscious that we exist. So it's like the exact same conclusion. And (laughs) just all these philosophers in further centuries were like, yes, and I had an original thought. (laughs) It's just the same thing. (laughs) Everyone just keeps thinking about the fact that you can think about things. What what an occupation to choose. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hope they all are in hell. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> when did this episode come out? <laughs> well, I'm just still riding that high from guessing what yeah. that meant in Latin. Um, okay, this episode, titled Dave, directed by... Jake Binder directed Dave. <laughs> <laughs> April 5th, 2006. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, another slow week, but I did get that the next day on April 6th, 2006, New Zealand Sign Language is made an official language in New Zealand under the New Zealand Sign Language Act of 2006. This was done to ensure that the deaf community of New Zealand had the same access to government information. Well, that and makes sense. Then I was like, wait, obviously there's different sign languages in yeah. different countries. So I started looking at the difference between like American sign language and British sign language because mm. New Zealand sign language came off of British sign language, I guess. Also, I just realized that I didn't turn off the AC. So it might pick up. We'll find out. But I'd rather be comfortable. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone's going to turn off the episode. They're going to turn it off because they get so bored by us, <laughs> not because of the AC. Um, yeah, there's apparently, like, a whole bunch of differences between British and American Sign Language. Hmm. Interesting. I wish I knew both. I wish I knew one of them. <laughs> That'd be nice. I wish I had taken Latin. Just kidding. <laughs> I would never... Uh, are you ready for the movie? Yeah. Okay, I'm not gonna tell you what the what the description is because it's gonna give it away. So I'm gonna give you the cast. <laughs> you got Ray Romano, Dennis Leary, John Leguizamo, and Queen Latifah. Oh, I've seen a lot of Queen Latifah movies, <laughs> but what is Ray Romano and John Leguizamo in? I'll give you another hint. It's a squeakquel. Oh, is it animated? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, I'll, gi- I'll give you the description. <laughs> Manny, Sid, and Diego <laughs> discover that the Ice Age is coming to an end and join everybody for a journey to higher ground. On the trip, they discover that Manny, in fact, is not the last of the woolly mammoths. Thank God. Queen Latifah is another woolly mammoth. Um, I have not seen the original nor the sequel. Oh, really? I remember now seeing the sequel in theaters, and I don't really remember much of it. It did not do well. I mean, well, no, that's not true. It made double what the original made, (laughs) but people hated it. (laughs) Um, Apparently, like, the story's not there, but it's, like, just a charming movie. I... I'm... New to Letterbox or Letterboxed. Do you know about this site? No. It's like a social media for movie reviews. Oh. So you can just Google any, or Google, you can search any uh, movie on their site and it, you get these like little tiny reviews from people. It's like Twitter, kind of. So I got one from user Maddie Weber, <laughs> who really enjoyed the movie. Okay, this is like the one positive review on here. <laughs> Ice Age The Meltdown stayed true to its name. 
spoiler alert, every time Scat almost got the acorn but failed in the end, my heart shattered. When watching Ice Age The Meltdown, I learned a lot about the history of the world in Pangea. <laughs> Uh, and then another review from user Colesman. <laughs> Ice Age, I'm having a meltdown because this movie is terrible. <laughs> and then uh, from Tostinum, it's Ice Age, eat shit. <laughs> End of review. Song. Oh yeah, my guess is if I were a boy. Oh, do you hear the dog? Yeah, is that the song? Yeah, he's singing it. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> <gasps> is it had a bad day? Yeah. It was the theme song to American Idol. People going home. Wait, really? <laughs> Wait, they sang this, or they played this song? They would play a montage of clips of them, like, smiling or holding a big note, and this song would be playing. Oh, my God. For the first several seasons. That's how I know this song. That's tragic. I know. (laughs) Oh, Lord. That's so dismissive to be like, oh, you had a bad day. Oh, you had a bad day. (laughs) You sing a sad song to turn it around. Oh, Lord. enough to show her his stash of dharma food it's not my metabolism i'm sick what what's wrong never mind it was full of food tons of food i tried giving it all away but i guess i kind of kept some of it for myself Wish I could just get rid of it. And get rid of it. I absolutely hate that they got all wet and sticky from tossing the food around. I was livid when she said, I thought they were going to give the food to other people. That just. I get that people would be mad at you for hiding it. But like, this is a dick. You're on an island. Also, I love that like. Truly, at the top of the episode when he's speed walking with her, it really is like, good pussy got me saying shit, like, exercise is addictive. (laughs) Like, 
Oh. Plus, what if someone comes upon this part of the jungle later and sees yeah. the detritus? Okay, Jin and Sun walked right by it. <laughs> they had no problem with all... It's not like they can throw all this in a dumpster. It's just there. <laughs> also, I noticed that when he threw the ranch in the air, it you could see it splash all over his shirt and his arm, but then in the next cut, there's none on him. God. I just hate the filming of it. I hate <laughs> the end product when they're all romantic and they're all wet from food. From condiments. <laughs> Just after Hurley empties his coffers, Sun Jin and a bunch of nameless nobodies run by. <sighs> Following them, Hurley... Nameless nobodies. <laughs> Hurley and Livy see that enormous package of food that had been parachuted in. After Hurley panics at the suggestion of again being in charge of the supplies... Do it again? No! No way! Not me! No, not again! He sees Charlotte York's husband and tries to follow him as he goes into the jungle. Who? <laughs> Sex in the City. That's how I know that guy. Oh! I was gonna say that Dave looked like a combination of every GM at every restaurant that I've ever worked at. And he, like, tries to be friends with you? Yeah. <laughs> After a clumsy chase, Hurley is left with only a slipper, just like Prince Charming. Uh oh. When you ran off, it sort of seemed like you were looking for someone. I tried to find you. I kind of. Don't want to talk about it? Sure. Okay. Pretty weird, huh? Said the island won't let you lose weight. Destroy your stash, then bang. In the flashbacks, Hurley's in a mental institution. It gets easier, I promise. So I heard you uh, had a visit with your mom. How did that go? We learn that his mom has committed him because of the accident. Hurley is friends with Dave, the most normal person in this place. <laughs> That's Evan Handler's character, the one Hurley was chasing on the island. At the hospital, though, Dave is telling Hurley to ignore the doctors. In present day, Hatch. Is it broken? On an x-ray, you're gonna just have to do with my best guess. Saeed and Analysia interrogate Michael Emerson's character, who is currently nameless. He came back because he thought his story was gonna check out. After his new cover-up story is proven false, nice try, <laughs> Michael Emerson finally admits that he is indeed an other. I'm disappointed. I wanted something more. Like, like what? What, what more do you want? <laughs> I wanted it to not be the simplest answer. Because literally from second one, Russo was like, he's one of them. And oh. then ever since then, Saeed's been like, he is one of them. And so yeah. it's not really a reveal that he, I mean, I know that the, dead parachute man is a reveal there's more to be revealed yeah i believe it because i know people love this character he's saying things like he'll kill me and you have no idea what he'll do Ana lucia thinks he's talking about scary boatman but michael emerson says him he's no one nothing <laughs> so i'm assuming whatever him he's so afraid of is the one ethan and scary boatman were whispering about in the hallway in the claire episode mm. We flash back to Dave trying to convince Hurley to avoid his medication and try to escape the hospital. Hurley's doctor, Dr. Bork. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bork, he's a dog. <laughs> Hurley's doctor is like, Bork, Bork, I'm a human man. Don't <laughs> <Yummy>. worry. <laughs> 
Dave isn't real. His doctor is a dog. This is not a mental hospital. <laughs> but he still wears a lab coat. The last door says cookie, ergo sue on it. <laughs> doctor Bork. Hurley's doctor, Dr. Brooks, takes a picture of the two of them for the bulletin board. I wrote in my notes, Dave's not in that picture. I know, okay, like, <laughs> during the conversation with Dr. Bork, when he was like, I don't even remember. Nobody else. Meaning? Well, Dave didn't do it. He said it was a stupid idea. Well, you know, I'm not Dave's doctor, but... I was like, oh, okay, so Dave's not real. And then nobody would pass to him in the basketball yeah. game. <laughs> Good try, Lost. Maybe this was interesting in 2006, but I've seen movies. Dude, dude, a revolution has begun, man. Lay low. When the time is right, we fly. New Zealand sign language has been a recognized language you by New Zealand. better than this. On present-day island, Hurley has lost Dave's trail twice now, so he decides to approach Sawyer, the king of medicines, uh, when Hurley lets him know that you can twist your Dharma Oreo to open... Okay, (laughs) not just fat people know that. Yeah. That's something that Sawyer should know. Yes. Um, Twist your Dharma Oreo open to prevent one side cracking. Sawyer tosses the cracked one in the sand like it's not good to eat anymore. (laughs) Thank God he told me. (laughs) I've been trashing all these cookies. (laughs) <laughs> There's just a file. <laughs> it cracked. I also love the like Dharma brand names for things like chocolate cream cookies mm-hmm. and fish crackers. <laughs> anyway, Sawyer's not accepting trades right now. He has enough food to open a chain of mini marts. And then he says, you think Saeed needs a job? I was alone in my home and I yelled, oh my God, at the Wait, TV. Wait, what? What did he say? Like, he said, I can open up a whole chain of mini marts. You think Saeed needs a job? Oh my god, I missed that. I did not hear him say that. I fully yelled alone by myself. Hurley came here to ask Sawyer for his specific medication to help him deal with hallucinations. Sawyer mocks him, so Hurley attacks him and destroys his tent in the process. That was very satisfying. Mm hmm. It was nice that everybody else thought it was fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, everybody wasn't like, oh, no, Hurley's fucked up. It's Everyone nice like, that, like, <laughs> Jin and Sun watched and then, like, counted <laughs> for, like, <laughs> ten seconds. Because of that incident, though, Hurley decides to leave the beach and go live at the caves. Remember caves? And throw dookie at people. <laughs> God. Unreal. Dave reappears while he's on the way there. In flashback, we learn about this aforementioned accident. There were 23, 23 people on a deck that was meant to hold eight people. Oh my God. When Hurley came out, it collapsed and two people died. In this scene, Dr. Bork decides to show Hurley the picture he took of him with Dave. And old Davey is not in that pic. He holds it in his dog mouth. (laughs) And Hurley says, huh? What is it, boy? (laughs) Later that night, (laughs) Dave wakes Hurley up to escape with him from the Institute. 
Maybe I just imagine you slap me. Ow! Damn it! We can do this all night. Suggesting that the doctor must have photoshopped the Polaroid. <laughs> Dogs don't know Photoshop. Marilia's like... <laughs> Dr. Brooks showed me a picture from the rec room. My arm was round like nothingness. Uh, Kinko's Photoshop? What, you think they really blew up the Death Star? No. Then stop talking crazy, man. Come on, we're on a clock here. <laughs> In 2006, you can take a Polaroid to Kinko's and say, remove this man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on, come on. Yo, check it out. Marcus didn't finish his lasagna. That is a waste, man. One for the road. Decides to go all Chief Bromden on this place and escape <laughs> out the window. But Hurley confronts him and declares that Dave is not real. He shuts the window on him before going back to bed. Next, we see Dave with Hurley in present day. You got peanut butter on it. Okay, look. I know you're freaking out right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. He's telling Hurley that everything that's happened since the night of the escape attempt has been a fantasy. That after Dave escaped, Hurley went into a catatonic state and has imagined everything since then. As proof, Dave points out how Leonard's numbers keep popping up, such as in Hurley's winning lottery ticket and the hatch computer number sequence. With the button that you gotta push every 108 minutes or the world ends. Oh, 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 and, and what's the code for the button? Oh yeah, the numbers. But I got better. Of your subconscious, man. All the people on this island are. What part of me are you? Dave takes Hurley to a cliff and tells him to jump and get out of his dream, and then Dave jumps off himself. I've seen another life, Hurley. Meanwhile, Locke is confronting the prisoner, demanding to know if he let himself be caught, thinking it might have been to find the swan. But Michael Emerson calls the hatch a joke, saying that during the lockdown, he never entered the numbers into the computer or pushed the button. He simply stood there and watched the timer's numbers turn to red hieroglyphs before they reset back on their own. Locke thinks he must be lying, but Michael Emerson replies that he's done lying. So last time the flippy clock got to zero, Locke entered the numbers anyway, and it turned back to 108. Mm -hmm. But if the shit starter story is true, then the number sequence might really have no consequence on this computer at all. Back to Hurley deciding whether or not to follow Dave off the cliff. Libby finds him there. Hurley tells her that all this is not real. It's only a comatose dream, including her. Libby's pretty pissed at this assertion and proves him wrong by naming things he doesn't know about her experience on the island. What was his name? I don't know. You don't know. You know why? I buried a lot of people, Hurley. So don't tell me that that wasn't real. And don't tell me you made me up. It's insulting. 
And then Jack Bender has the audacity to show me another crying kiss. <laughs> this better be the last one. <laughs> The flashback reveals that during the moment Dr. Brooks, doc, sorry, Dr. Bork Bork took the picture of Hurley and Dave, another patient was staring at Hurley from across the room, and it's Libby. So that explains why Hurley thought he recognized her on the island. What a reveal! Yeah, truly. That's it, right? Yeah. Uh, something you neglected to mention. <laughs> was when um when Saeed tried to shoot uh Henry mm-hmm. um and Ana Lucia pushed him um John Locke went <laughs> what's going on I heard a gunshot <laughs> white people on 4th of July be like what's going on I heard a gunshot I looked up what clonazepam is and it's the generic name for clonopin Oh. Hurley says, it's so you can calm down for when you're seeing things that aren't supposed to be there. So it sounds like he takes it for panic disorder or anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's a benzodiazepine, which is the same class as, like, Xanax and Valium. I'm obsessed with the fact that Hurley's hallucination says vaguely racist things. Yeah! Like, he does that Mexican impression for Taco Night, or, like, when Dr. Bork was taking the picture, he was like, Queso! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Hurley. I liked in that scene where Kate was bugging Sawyer about getting beat up when he says, don't you got an adventure to get to? <laughs> yeah. We love Timmy when the fell down so the well. Yeah. Okay, I love Leonard, so I decided to click on this guy to see what he's all about, mm-hmm. and I was rewarded with the singular most extra IMDb bio I have ever laid eyes oh. on. Oh. It's too long to read the whole thing, but here are some highlights. Okay. The very first sentence... Ron Botita is the second most famous actor to come from Claygate, England. Oh! The most famous is still currently Terry Jones, and third place is still held by a beagle named Toby from the BBC sitcom called To the Manor Born. Oh my god. You may have seen him at the Geffen Playhouse in Tracy Letts' Superior Donuts. One reviewer called him brusque, another irrepressible, and yet another compared him to an unwanted disease. <gasps> Praise indeed. That's what it's. Oh my god! I don't know who wrote this, but I hope it's him. He continued to shill for corporations by appearing in commercials. I found a website with all of his commercial spots. I'm gonna tweet the shit out of it. Okay. He was born on Christmas Day, a fact that still continues to frustrate him. Okay, this was definitely written by him. He gets most attention at parties from telling people he plays Crazy Lenny in the series Lost. Oh. In 2008, he joined LA's Rogue Machine Theater to play the sympathetic and psychopathic killer Lefty in the world premiere of Razorback by John Polano, a performance the LA Times, for a very nominal fee, called Vivid and Intriguing, Variety called compelling after only a few threatening phone calls, and the LA Weekly critic hailed as terrific and very rich after less than a week as a guest in Ron's windowless basement. (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) 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 (laughs)
just like doing a voiceover as like a creepy old British man. Oh my god. Somehow he's made the time to spawn two smart alecky kids, Danny. Oh. <laughs> and then it says, boy. <laughs> Danny, parentheses, boy, born 1995, and Sasha, parentheses, girl, born 1997, both of whom mean nearly as much to him as his career. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> R.I.P. to the two people from the deck that Hurley feels responsible for killing. Yeah. Here's a prediction. What if someone, one of the 23 people who broke the deck, has it's a connection to another crash survivor? Remember how you know it will. Friend. You know that, like, at some point, someone's gonna be watching the news in a flashback and they're gonna be talking about a, a deck crashing. Like how Jack's wife killed Shannon's dad in a car accident. Yeah. R.I.P. Donald with a broken leg. R.I.P. Grandpa Tito. Mm. R.I.P. Henry Gale. And R.I.P. to that ding-dang tree frog. Oh. Let's not even think about it. Okay, so back in fully, like, April, I did a bunch of research on what was meant by Tokyo Rose when Sawyer oh, called yeah. Sun that. And I think we read, like, I think when we were recording the podcast, I opened up Wikipedia and I read the first paragraph aloud and we were like, I don't know what that means. Okay. So then I tried to actually figure it out and it's so cool. I mean, it's not cool. <laughs> it's so <laughs> cool how the wrong side of the war <laughs> would try to get you. Japanese radio stations would broadcast propaganda in the South Pacific and North America. The purpose was to demoralize both allied forces abroad and their families at home by emphasizing the difficulties of wartime and the military losses. This is a tactic I've never heard of before. Wait, what would happen? So, like, in Japan, on the radio, they would broadcast to, like, the families at home in North America, in, like, the U.S., and be like... Guess how many Allied troops have died? A ton. <laughs> but then they wouldn't play to try to get Americans to listen. They would play like swing music and then they'd be like, you're losing the war. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Do you like the music? <laughs> Give up to Hitler. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but this is not the only instance. <laughs> Japan was not the only people doing this. <laughs> I... <laughs> I've become obsessed with this man named William Joyce. He became radio famous for broadcasting Nazi propaganda to the UK from Germany during World War II under the name Lord Ha Ha. Oh my God. <laughs> in the 1920s, Joyce had developed an interest in fascism, as we all normally do. Just developed an interest. <laughs> while working as a teacher in England. In 1932, he joined the British Union of Fascists, where he became known as a powerful speaker. Journalist Cecil Roberts wrote, Thin, pale, intense. He had not been speaking many minutes before we were electrified by this man. So terrifying in its dynamic force. So vituperative. So vitriolic. Throughout the 30s... <laughs> Lord Ha Ha. 
Lord Ha Ha of House Hee Hee. <laughs> Throughout the 30s, he held various leadership positions in the BUF, the fascist union. They organized meetings, rallies, all the stuff you would expect, all for the cause of anti-Semitism, basically. One of his passions was strongly opposing a 1935 bill to give a little more freedom and autonomy to India. Mm-hmm. He described supporters of that bill as one loathsome, fetid, purulent, tumid <laughs> mass of hypocrisy hiding behind Jewish dictators. Jesus Christ. In 1939, when the war was about to start, he fled to Germany. He became a citizen of Germany the following year. He auditioned to be a radio broadcaster <laughs> and became very successful. He worked for the Reich Ministry of Public Engagement and Propaganda, which was a Nazi government agency. The intent of the broadcast was to demoralize the British population as well as the American, Australian, British, and Canadian troops. He would try to motivate the Allies to agree to peace terms that would leave Nazi Germany intact. He would report on all the losses and casualties from the Allied side, urging people to surrender. So, like, this plane was shot down and these ships were sunk. People knew that this was Nazi propaganda and highly exaggerated, but he was frequently the only one offering details from behind enemy lines. Mm. So both allied troops and civilians were listening for information about their friends and family oh my at God. war. They even had prisoners of war on the show <gasps> to send regards <laughs> to their native countries. Whoa, wait, has there been a movie made about this guy? I don't know. I think he was like friends with... um the Sam Claflin character that the Peaky Blinders were trying to assassinate. Oh. I think, like, that's the British Union of Fascists. Huh. But yeah, we should look Wait, into the who? Oh, in the most recent season? Yeah. Oh, okay. We should look into William Joyce, though. Millions of people were tuning into this to hear what the enemy had to say, but also maybe get news from the front about people they hadn't heard from in a while. The last broadcast was on April 30th, 1945, during the Battle of Berlin. So Adolf Hitler kills himself that day. Berlin surrenders two days later, followed by all the rest of the German forces. It's the end of Nazi Germany. A few weeks later, a couple intelligence officers near the Germany-Denmark border recognize William Joyce by his voice. Oh my god. They're like, is it really you? And he reaches into his pocket to pull out a passport, but they think he's pulling out a gun. (gasps) So they shoot him in his butt. And hand him over to military police. Here's a picture that was taken that day. <laughs> Fucking dumbass. He got a bullet in his ass. <laughs> Fucking good. <laughs> Joyce was tried in London on three counts of high treason. But here's the rub. He was never a citizen of Great Britain. He was born in Brooklyn to English and Irish parents. He was raised in Ireland. And then he made his way to England where he got involved with the fascist movement. Then naturalized in Germany during the war, as we discussed. So he was never a British subject, but he carried a falsified British passport. So the question is, how can you be charged as a traitor in a country you don't belong to? Hmm. In comes Attorney General Sir Hartley Shawcross. Oh my God. He manages to argue that carrying a British passport entitles you to diplomatic protection in other countries, and thus you owe allegiance to the king until the passport expires. As far as I can tell, Sir Hartley completely pulled this out of his ass, but it worked. (laughs) Joyce is convicted of one count of high treason and sentenced to death. The conviction... How? um, Do you know? It doesn't... No. Oh. 
He just gets shot in the butt <laughs> a bunch more times. <laughs> the conviction is then upheld by both the Court of Appeals and the House of Lords. Lord Samuel Porter argued that you can't try an alien for offenses committed in another country, but his argument was rejected on the basis that the country may exercise such jurisdiction in the interests of its own security. So... In January 1946, William Joyce became the last person ever executed for treason in the UK. Wow. In addition to the Tokyo Roses and the Lord Ha Ha's, you also <laughs> had a couple of people nicknamed Axis Sally. Whoa. Where does this end? Prominent examples include Mildred Gillers, a German-American who broadcast for Germany. She was the first woman to be convicted of treason by the United States. Oh. There was an Italian-American woman named Rita Zucca doing the same thing for Italian propaganda. Her trademark sign-off was a sweet kiss from Sally. Ooh, okay. <laughs> was Fun it also like an advice column? <laughs> Fun fact, it was well known that she had a cross-eyed condition. <laughs> cross-eyed Sally. <laughs> but a correspondent for the magazine Stars and Stripes said true. Her left eye is inclined to wander. <laughs> <laughs> but that cooey, sexy voice really has something to back it up. <laughs> I would love for someone to say that about me. <laughs> On their radio shows, the two Axis Sally personalities would typically alternate between swing music and propaganda messages aimed at American troops. These messages would emphasize the value of surrender, stoke fears that soldiers' wives and girlfriends were cheating on them. Oh my god. <laughs> and point out that the Axis powers knew their locations. <laughs> American soldiers listened to Mildred Giller's broadcast for the entertaining music, even as they found her attempts at propaganda laughable. Oh my god. So that was our crash course on World War II radio propaganda. Oh, wow. Once again, Sawyer's references are old as sin. <laughs> Where did he pull out Tokyo Rose from? What's wrong with him? We got some trivia. Yay! It's dark in here now. Is it plugged in? Yeah. Mm. You know in the Sawyer Hurley fight scene when Sawyer manages to get out from under the tarp and Hurley drags him <laughs> yes, back under? I know it well. That was Josh Holloway's idea. <laughs> we love it. Apparently they had a lot of production nuisances for this episode. Military planes kept performing exercises, and the basketball game got rained out and moved inside, and loud waves ruined the sound on one of the beach scenes. Huh. There's more things to show you. Oh my god. I can't stand this show. These fucking nerds. That's dumb as hell. Also, Connect 4 has 42. 42! <gasps> holes in the grid. It's 7 by 6. Sawyer recycles a nickname. He called Charlie Tattoo. But he already oh, he used did? that one on Walt. Tattoo? Wait, but Tattoo had a different meaning with Walt, right? What was no, the... It's the it's the character from Fantasy Island that goes, The plane, the plane. 
I forget. I think he just calls short people that. Because oh. it's like a... That actor has dwarfism. Oh, that, I thought... That guy has a really interesting life, too, I found out. Ooh. I forget his name. I thought that he was calling Charlie Tattoo because he has <laughs> dumb tattoos. He also called Libby Moonbeam, which I really yeah. liked. Honestly, <laughs> if someone called me that... Kumbaya. <laughs> I would not be mad if someone yeah. called me Moonbeam. Fucking flower child. I also looked at the user reviews. Okay. <laughs> oh, I want to see if there's anything, if Letterboxd is just movies or if there's anything for Lost on here. Almost all the reviews complain about this episode as a follow-up to Lockdown because people tend to love that episode the last one and i get that dave is not that great but i don't think it's supposed to be a sequel to the previous episode if anything it's a follow-up to everybody hates hugo like it doesn't wait to the previous what was the previous episode again people love the one that lock episode where the blast doors came down and crushed his legs and right we learn about anthony cooper or whatever but like this has nothing to do with that all the reviews were like this isn't as good as that one disappointed oh <laughs> My favorite review scored Dave 1 out of 10. Here's what they had to say verbatim. Oh my god. Worst episode until now. This one of worst episode in world. (laughs) It sounds like the trash people from Logging Dead wrote this. (laughs) I didn't talk about, like... Charlie and Echo. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Okay, no, that does remind me. So Echo, when Charlie finds him, he's building that thing, and then he splashes water on himself in the shape of the cross. Oh, yeah. Like, does he just have a bucket of holy water? I guess if you're an ordained minister, you can bless all the water You can bless as much as you want. What a power. Bless this mess. (laughs) Oh my god. I don't think there's anyone I want to vote off. Like, everyone made me happy this episode. Okay. Who do you... I'm going to vote off Dave because I just found this whole situation very triggering. Like, I felt upset after I watched this episode. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like... It was scary for a while. Yeah. Okay, I have my favorite... Three, one, two, two three, Dr. Bork! Bork. Oh! <laughs> and it's a good day Let for the singing dogs a song. <laughs> That's it. There's nothing more in this episode. <laughs> How we end it. Oh, email us at youlostmepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at youlostmepod. Uh, bye.